I would take these complicated thing called business systems and simplify them. Just do this, you get this. Just do this, you get this. I mean, there's so much theory out in the world that as an entrepreneur, it's hard to determine what do I do first. Mm. So I wanted to give people the tools to go first do this, then do this. I'm, I'm very procedure oriented. I'm systems oriented. I'm a creative, but systems give me freedom. So I've really learned to, what's the procedure around, you know, even if you want to start a podcast or you want to write a book or you want to launch a product, there's systems around it. Go to the people who are the best of the best at it, hire them, you will save so much money. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I'm delighted with our guest that I just finished interviewing, Susie Carter, and C-A-R-D-E-R, just a delightful energy, and Susie's story is amazing, where she went from being an abused mom with just a six and a 15-month-old, in leaving that situation, earning 12000 a year as a hairdresser, living with a girlfriend as a single mom, to not long afterwards earning six figures and then teaching other people how to do the same thing. So now she calls herself the profit coach, but part of her work is really around our mindset around success and money and how we really self-sabotage our own success in life. So fascinating story. And now Susie really has, has a brand new book coming out. Uh, and when you're, depending on when you're listening to this, it probably is already out called Power Your Profits by Susie Carter. So make sure you get that. Now, one of the things we talk about is that clarity is so important for people to be successful. You know, what do you really want? I mean, what do you really want? What is it that you want in life so that you can go to the next level? And so my encouragement is, you know, this show is sponsored by CRG Consulting Resource Group. And we have our new e-course, What Do You Really Value?, which is based on our values, preference indicator, our second most popular tool after the personal style indicator. And my encouragement is, is I take you step-by-step through that course so that you have clarity. Now, this is your clarity. This is what you decide is most important to you, but we give you a framework, a system, a process so that you can march through that so that you know that you know that you know and that you can make the right decision every time. And that is because you did the work up front. Now, hopefully that is something that can work for you. And if you know somebody who is needing some clarity, then just refer them to the crgleader.com site where they can go to what do you really value. And thank you as always for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Let somebody else know. Leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. And let us know if you have a guest or uh, an idea for the show. And then also post comments in the different platforms and, and we'll get back to you. So thank you again for listening. So here's our guest today, Susie Carter. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I am so excited about today's guest. This individual rocks the media world. Hundreds of thousands of followers knows who's who in the professional development space. The fact that we'd even come onto my show is just beyond me, really. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) We are so privileged to have Susie Carter on our show. Susie, thanks for being on the show. 
Oh my gosh, Ken, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the work you do in the world. I'm proud to be associated with you and aligned with you. Your contribution is huge, and I'm so grateful for what you're up to. Well, thank you, and uh, kudos back to you in that area and how you help people sort of transform their life. And I mean, you're a coach to businesses and entrepreneurs and really help individuals to think about this whole business about business as well as mindset around money. And I want to get to that here in a little bit. But before we do, as we do on this, always do on the secrets of success is to kind of get to know the story of our guest. And so, I mean, you mentioned in your sort of one sheet here that you were a hairdresser and had two little girls and really trying to support them and say, hey, I, I need to do something different. But before I just get to that, where was the home for you growing up? I am a native San Diegan, born and raised, and I'm still here. <laughs> I'm a survivor. <laughs> you're a survivor. Well, you're close to Napa Valley, so what can I say? So that right. you're heading straight out there to uh, wine country. And so what was home uh, like growing up? So there uh, was nine kids, Bobby Ronnie, Stevie Terry, Joni Shelley, Susie Kelly, Debbie. Nine kids? Nine kids. Wow. My dad was in the military. My stepmom was a seamstress. So we grew up poor. And I don't mean the kind of poor, Ken, where we didn't know we were poor. You know, people go, we didn't know we were poor. No, we knew we were poor. We're eating government cheese. We're eating seafood rations because my dad was in the military. So he'd bring those home. Those were our snacks, right? (laughs) Just we were poor, poor. Like we shared everything. We had 1,200 square feet. We had six girls, three boys, one bathroom. I don't know if you know anything wow. about girls, Ken, but one bathroom and six girls plus my stepmom, that's a lot of people in the bathroom. <laughs> that is for sure. Obviously, the boys were heading outside maybe some tree or something to say please. Right. Please. Well, my, my parents were smart, a small house. We were not allowed in the house, right? It was like, go outside. You know, it's not, even my kids had a hard time getting them outside. Go outside, not allowed to come inside until it was dinner time. <laughs> Which I see now as a parent, that was just their sanity technique. Get get out, get away. <laughs> well, absolutely. And besides, kids that are outside are way more healthy anyway. So yeah. they understood that straight away. So after uh, sort of high school, where did, where did you go or what, what happened to you then? Yeah, so I have, um, you know, my having nine kids, my dad's philosophy was when you're 18, you move out, get married, get a job, right? So I'm like, ah, I can do this. So at 17. Sure, um, we could prescribe you to get married at 18, and they right. can do that as a parent. I'm very coachable. So I moved out yeah. at 17, left a note for my parents because we're busy. They're busy. I left you a note, moved out like such a little rebel, you know, lived with my a friend of mine. We had, I, then I moved in with um, five guys and my girlfriend roommate, we shared a room. Like what just went back into the chaos, but learned to, you know, take care of myself. Got married young. I met my husband who was just beautiful. Just, you know, what did I know about finding a husband? We weren't taught that as kids. He had a checkbook, he had a car and he had muscles, Ken. That's what seemed like a good husband at 18. (laughs) A three item checklist. Right. So my, you know, growing up with all those kids, we I did grow up in a very verbally abusive and physically abusive home. So not not really being taught how to choose a husband, I chose what I saw. If you were yelling and screaming and hitting me, that must be love. And mm-hmm. you know, early on realized that this isn't love. I I remember finding myself on the floor with my husband on top of me and my two little girls crying. 
and going, I don't want my children to see this. I grew up seeing this. I don't, this is not healthy. Mm. And so I left that relationship when my babies were 18 months and six months old. Wow. And I had no child support. I had no alimony, no, no, um, no way to take care of myself. I was a hairdresser, right? That was my vocation. I do have my PhD, which is my public high school diploma. So I did have that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've never heard that before, but I, I have to use that in the future. Public high school diploma. <laughs> that's my PhD. That's, that's my formal education. I have a ton of education now, right? I'm in my 50s now, and my education is very much like this. When I was young, I realized that I, I wasn't getting child support at alimony. I had to figure out how do I take care of my children? And so, not- so I just want to stop you for a second, Susie. I mean, there's people that always reach, or not always, but that reach crossroads that have difficult decisions in life. And so you, here you are, you have two children, no way to really kind of support yourself. You know the situation is bad, but what kind of courage did it take to kind of do this shift, to, to move out with your two girls? I mean, what can you share with the audience about the chutzpah it took to do that? Well, at that point, I was in survival, in survival for myself and my children. And that was most important because he was extremely violent. And so my fear really overtook the courage, right? I was just afraid for myself, afraid for my children. Um, and wanting my children, people say, what's your why? My why has always been my children. And it sounds kind of hokey, but... I wanted them to have something different. I didn't want them growing up thinking that was love. I didn't want them growing up thinking that you can hit a woman, that you can yell at a woman, and you could, like, that was just normal for me. And so that was my why. That The courage was really for them. It was for, I wanted to teach that I wanted something different for myself, but more importantly, I didn't want to keep repeating the pattern that my mother did, you know, and that's, got me to be scared and do it anyway, like knees knocking, teeth chattering, you know, mm-hmm. fear in one hand, courage in the other, and jump. Not, not even knowing how to do it, Ken. I didn't have a budget back then. I didn't, you know, I stockpiled some money, you know, so I could pay my first and last, you know, with rent. And I moved in with a girlfriend. She had two kids. I had two kids with a two-bedroom. Like, we were frugal. We were lean and mean, right, and just survival, and, mm. you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first level is survival. Once I got survival handled, then I wanted security. Like, okay, I don't want to feel like um, I'm ever held hostage again. Mm. And now, so they, I'm not sure if you could answer this question or not, but you just mentioned your mother about sh- her tolerating this all those years. Yeah. Why did she, do you think? I think it was her upbringing, right? It, it is generational. Right. I broke the pattern, um, you know, her mother, and it's just what they knew, right? She mm-hmm. didn't have both my dad and my mom. My dad had an eighth grade education. I think my mom, same, seventh or eighth grade education. So they weren't very educated, and they grew up in a really small town. Um, he was 18 when he married her, and she was 14 or 15 when she had my sister. So they were babies having babies. And... Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think it was just what they learned. They didn't know. You know, my dad went into the military young. I, I'm As much as my childhood was horrific, there was gifts that were wrapped in sandpaper. There were gifts that came from that. He, you know, as he got older and more mature, 
you know, he took care of his family. It might have been violent. It might have been screaming and yelling, but all of us were taken care of. We had a roof over our head, right? We had food on the table. Um, they did what they could do. Now, I'm going to just say, I Ken, that took me a lot of time and a lot of therapy to be able to just own, like, see the love that they did give us versus mm-hmm. just the abuse that occurred. But there was there was in the way that they could love, love, right? I'm going to food, shelter, clothing, and you're handled. That was love for him. Um, and then my, my biological mom, which, you know, I wasn't raised with her, she never got out of it. She stayed in abusive relationships. She stayed an alcoholic. She, you know, so I, for me, I'm proud that I got out. I'm proud that mm-hmm. I'm not living that life. I'm proud that my children don't live that life. Um, that was my why. That was the, mm-hmm. the reason to go, wait, I want something different. Well, congratulations then, on having this, the courage, but also now the inspiration to others who have to make uh, these difficult decisions and these decisions that we don't want to make but have to be made. So thank you for that. Yeah, I see women do it all the time. They stay stuck because of money. You know, I can't leave. I have no money. Well, let's figure out a money plan. I'm, I think that's where my love for understanding money came from. But mm. even when I had a little, I figured out how to save. I figured out how to provide. I figured out, and then I just kept getting better at it because money can be very intimidating. It's a masculine energy. Money's scary for women still. You know, mm-hmm. most people want to turn a blind eye in general, men and women, and they go, wait, money gives us freedom. It shouldn't be this thing that controls us. And so my love for taking this complicated thing called business and business finance and personal finance and simplify it to get, get you whatever it is that you want in your life. I, that's what I love being an entrepreneur is we, we get to choose how much money we make or don't make, right? Mm-hmm. 88% of small businesses make less than $100,000 a year. That's unacceptable to me. You can go get a job, right? Only 1% of businesses, 1.7% of businesses in our country today hit that million dollar mark. That's my passion. Let me show you how to do this, right? Because once you realize we're making it so hard to make money, we're chasing the wrong things, we're chasing the wrong projects, we're not really being strategic about it, to go let's stop and plan a little bit. Mm. And And we're going to get into that here just in a moment. Now, just before we do it, and I can Man, your passion just exudes you. So it's all <laughs> over you on this one, and it's good because it's also one of the things that I want to get into uh, from a personal point of view, too, during this show. So with that, uh, now you're with your kids. You're, you're living with your girlfriend. Now what? So now I start making money. You know, as I was a hairdresser. The average hairdresser made $30,000 a year. At that time, That's about I was making about 12000 And I knew I could not live on 12000 and provide for their schooling and their their sports, and I decided to figure this thing out called business. 15% of your financial success is your technical ability. The other 85% is business and business strategy. So I started learning. I, be, I became an a avid learner. I am a lifelong learner. I couldn't afford a coach, right, but I'd go to the bookstore. And I couldn't afford to buy all the books, so I would take my kids, go to the bookstore, read a book, take notes. They would be reading books. Like, we'd sit in a little circle at the bookstore, Mm -hmm. and I was just a a student of what do I need to do to make money now, which all was marketing. I had to get in front of the right people. So very quickly, I hit that six-figure mark, and then I went. Now, how did you do that? Were you still a hairdresser? Still a hairdresser. Still a hairdresser, um, stacking, packing them, racking them, churning them, burning them, getting them in, getting them out. (laughs) 
so you were just more productive, higher end clients, so you were still a solopreneur at this time? Still a solopreneur, yeah. So all my clients can were chemically dependent on me. <laughs> so, you know, I well, really yeah, only learned. a hairdresser could say that. Really. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So I was working three days a week doing a quarter of a million dollars a year as a hairdresser. And I started working with Paul Mitchell um, because I got bored and said, Hey, I want to teach people how to do what I do. Like the average person makes $30,000 a year in this industry. I'm doing a quarter of a million dollars a year and I'm working part time. Can I share? Right, so, so let me just stop you for a second. You, you're, you're with your girlfriend. You're making 12000 a year. How long did it take you to, to move into this six-figure world? It took me about a year and a half. So it was pretty quick, actually, if you think about it. It was pretty quick because I found the right mentor. I read the right books, and I got busy. Right. Again, so mentor, how did you, we, I mean, we're, we talk about mentors and coaches all the time on this show. So uh, where did the mentor come from? Yeah, so my first mentors, like remember uh, Wayne Dyer, like he mm -hmm. was my first experience into motivational speaking where I'm like, oh, I can do anything. I can be anything. I can't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't raised in that environment. I was raised in the world of suppression and no, and, you know, go get a government job. That was still, even when I became a hairdresser, my parents are like, you need a government job. No, mm -hmm. no. Can you see this word in government? No, this is not good government material. Mm -hmm. I, no one is the boss of me. <laughs> mm. um, so I just started, it, it's all about marketing in that industry and referral marketing. So I really leveraged that. I had um, a colleague, Eddie, who was doing six figures at the time. And he's like, here's what you do. And I, I just listened, right? I found the right coach. I didn't know it was a coach, like when you think about it then. But Eddie just kind of said, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Here's how you have to charge. You know, you want to do multiple services. You want to do chemical services. Don't just do haircuts. Like, he really schooled me. You know, he was 10 or 15 years older than me. Mm. And because I had rent to pay and a car payment to pay, I didn't have the option. And I think so many entrepreneurs have this back door, either a spouse or a job, and they're building this other thing. So they don't have that tenacity or that hunger. You know, Les Brown always talks about that. You've got to be hungry. Right. Mm -hmm. And the hunger for me was survival and really providing for my children. Now, I'm in California. This is an expensive state to live in, even, you know, back even back then, mm -hmm. you know, for schooling and clothing and, you know, two kids as a single parent. Right. Raising them. And I like shoes and those things cost money. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said you were on a budget. Well, obviously, there is one budgetary item that's discretionary. Uh, well, once you have some access money, right, you have some some uh, free capital, you can start looking at other things. But I'm still frugal. Right. So there's a lot of frugal time in there. But to really build that business, it took me a year and a half to get to that six figure. It took me about another two years to get to that quarter of a million dollar mark. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, what, what else, right? I'm making great money, but what else, what else can I do? Right. I wasn't, a, I was no longer in survival. I was in, you know, I got a great group. So I was in that belonging level and Maslow's hierarchy of needs of I belong. I belong to this community. I love this community. How can I make a difference in this community? Mm -hmm. And that's where the speaking started. I, I didn't set out to be a speaker. I set out to make a difference. I'm like, I want to teach students. Like, if I would have known this day one, right, because about that time I was about seven years in the industry still not making any money, 
right? Until I, you know, really went, oh, I gotta, I gotta provide for my children. I've gotta provide for myself. I'm like, wow, if we could teach this in schools, what, what could that could be a game changer, right? You don't have to go through all this trial and tribulation because in schools their goal is to teach you to pass the board, not how to run a business. Right? I'm like, well, can't we do both? Can't we teach people how to make money and pass the board? Because that's the foundation. At least give them concepts to know. I didn't even know. I just thought you graduated and showed up and there would be a clientele. Like, that was shocking to me. Like, what do you mean there's no clients? What do you mean I have to build a clientele? What do you mean? I, what do you mean? <laughs> all all, all these, and, and a lot of reasons, uh, or that's a lot of reasons why people don't go into business because there's a, this other responsibilities, but you, you slipped in a name in here and said, well, then I reached out to Paul Mitchell. Most listeners wouldn't know who he is. So maybe just explain who Paul Mitchell is and how that relationship came about. I mean, you're a hairdresser now, all of a sudden you're talking to Paul Mitchell. Right. So Paul Mitchell is one of the top manufacturers, distributors in the country. And, uh, you know, even back then. So there's the big five, there's Paul Mitchell, there's Matrix, um, there's L'Oreal, right? When you look at all those clients, all those people became clients of mine, you know, eventually. But Paul Mitchell was the main line I supported and sold as a hairdresser. So, and as a hairdresser, uh, my average retail ticket was five times what the average hairdresser's retail ticket was. So that caught the attention of the distributor sales consultant. Like, how are you selling so much? Well, I'm getting 10% commission on everything I sell, so I'm, that's free money to me, right? So again, I'm looking at multiple revenue streams from my referrals to retail items to chemical services, right, to go, how do I, again, pay for my lifestyle and pay for my children? Um, and started working with Paul Mitchell as a sales rep. They're like, yeah, come be a sales rep. You can teach them all you want and sell some product. Teach them how you sell and sell some product. I'm like, oh, okay. So I quickly, still doing both, right? They could not, obviously, well, I'm not going to say obviously. So they could not afford to pay me a quarter of a million dollars a year. So I kept my hairdressing job and then did that part-time um, being a sales consultant and grew that territory to over a million dollars um, in sales, which was awesome. So quickly increase that territory, that share, and I did it through education, right? My job is to educate people. Their job is to choose whether they're going to do it or not. And then really from that point in my career, people, oh, my God, you do, do you have a book? I'm like, no, I don't have a book. I'm a hairdresser. It's like, you need a book. If you wrote a book, Susie, we would buy it. I'm like, fine, I'll figure out how to write a book. So I wrote my first book. And then people said, oh, what my God. The name of that, what was the name of that book? The first book was called Passion, a Salon Professional's uh, Handbook to Building a Successful Business. And so that became a bestseller in the industry. And that's really where the speaking career kind of launched was from that book. But again, I didn't know how to build that business, right? I wasn't making money doing that. That was more my give back. And then I wrote this book thinking, again, oh, I'll write this book. I'll be famous. <laughs> nope, now you got to sell some books, right? Oh, okay. And then they said, oh my God. Most people don't realize is 85 or 90% of the work is after the book is written. Exactly. Well, I always tell my students that a book is an expensive business card. You have to have it. It's a credibility builder, but it's not going to make you the money. It's going to get you, it's going to open the doors. It's going to give you credibility. It's going to give you, a, you know, a way in that's different than someone that doesn't have it. And then a best-selling book is another credibility builder, right? If you're going to do it, let's create bestsellers. You know, not just write a book. 
Awesome. So you write this first book, and how was that? I mean, all of a sudden, since you have your PhD, <laughs> um, you know, you know, going into this process of being a writer, that's different. You know, as a fellow author, uh, yeah. that's not the same thing as doing hair. Oh, that is not the same thing. Well, I had an amazing ghostwriter and editor. So I was smart enough to know that, look, I know when I don't, my, I end my sentence normally with an explanation point. So <laughs> the period doesn't come or, or explanation doesn't come until I'm done saying the sentence. A semicolon, why? I don't know, right? <laughs> you don't want me to be editing anything. And so I had compiled all the information, found a really great ghostwriter to help me pull it all together. And I literally could not tell where her work started and mine ended. You know, because I'm a storyteller, you know, I, again, I take these complicated thing called business systems and simplify them. Just do this, you get this. Just do this, you get this. I mean, there's so much theory out in the world that as an entrepreneur, it's hard to determine what do I do first. Mm. So I wanted to give people the tools to go first do this, then do this. I'm, I'm very procedure oriented. I'm systems oriented. I'm a creative, but systems give me freedom. So I've really learned to... What's the procedure around, you know, even if you want to start a podcast or you want to write a book or you want to launch a product, there's systems around it. Go to the people who are the best of the best at it, hire them. You will save so much money by hiring them, right? And if you can't hire them, buy their book. If you can't buy, you know, or take an online class. Like I learned so much from books, so much from learning self-study, you know, to allow me to then build the money that I could then go hire you. I could go hire, you know, experts. Uh, for sure. You know, when you think about your first book, if you were to kind of distill down the primary things you were teaching them that would apply to people generally, what were the two or three or four things that were in that book that really helped them to think about their business differently? Well, first is, um, it's, I'm still teaching the same principles today, right? A business is business is business. And so the first thing any... So what, is that, what does that mean, Susie? Business is business is business. Well, everybody has um, different costs associated with their business, but we all need customers. We all need market share. We all need an ideal client. We all need a financial plan and a sales plan, right? We all need organization and operations. It's just what are the indicators that your specific niche needs you, right? So in my business now, I've got a fencing company, a construction company, a manufacturing company. I work with speakers, authors, writers. I work with doctors, right? So the, the professions are across the board. The, what's in common is their leadership and their mindset, right? So the first thing you put together when I start working with a client is I work on their financial goals is what do you want to create? From the financial indicators, I can then create the marketing plan. I can then create the sales plan to go, okay, if we want to do a million, what are we selling? And is that priced right? Is it not priced right? So many people, and what's frustrating about the market today, Ken, is so many people are going, let's put a low-hanging fruit together, like $49 product, $29 product. Well, do you know how many $29 things you have to sell to get to a million dollars? And mm -hmm. do you know how many... $29, do you know how many people we need to find that are qualified? I think people are trying to find leads versus just qualified leads. I'd rather have less leads and have a more qualified lead than just trying to speak to everyone, mm. right? So it's getting really clear, like, who wants what I have? 
who is that customer? For me, you know, I'm a little more seasoned. I'm just going to say that out loud. I'm a little more seasoned, so it, it's not just about money for me. For me, I want to I want to belong in someone's business. I want to make a profound difference in the world, in their business and in their life, right? I want to love the people that I work with, right? I want them to love me, right? I want to like I want to get excited when I see Ken's name on my book. Like, oh, I got to talk to Ken today. I'm so excited. Mm. Versus we've all had that experience of like, ugh, I got to talk to Ken today, right? Nobody wants that. Kind I, of I know, I know. <laughs> I don't think those people are listening to this show this very moment, but (laughs) all money's not good money, but you got to be seasoned to know that, right? Because in the Mm. beginning, you're just like, oh, I got to pay my bills. There's nothing wrong with that. But then let's get really clear who is that ideal client for you, Mm. right? I want them to love and adore me. I want to love and adore them. I want to, I want them to happily pay me, right? What I'm worth, right? The value that I bring to their business. So those are important to me and to find out what are those characteristics and how do I find them versus just, you know, I think so much is, you know, spaghetti marketing. I'll try this. I'll try that. Let's get clear. The clearer we can get on what your average ticket needs to be for every customer you serve, the smarter you'll work and the more money you'll make. Hmm. And most people, they're just so busy being busy. I mean, it's, I'm guilty of it too. I want to kind of back up. Uh, Susie, just a little bit for the listeners. And you talk about reshaping your relationship with money. So you're you're a hairdresser, then you are doing a sales rep, you're doing both. Did you, when did you stop doing sort of the the chair stuff? In 2000. So a very long time. I ended up buying a salon and um, because I started consulting with salons and spas and they're like, Susie, you really don't understand because you don't own a salon and spa. Even though I was an independent contractor in a salon and spa, it is different. So we bought a salon, I bought a salon, and we were the top 1% in the nation and top 10% in the world. And we earned that right by the dollars we produced. So we didn't have the biggest business, right? We only had six chairs. But in those six chairs, we did a million dollars. The average salon that does a million dollars has 30 technicians. We had seven. So. I took everything I learned as a technician and taught my team, let's work smart, not hard. And so we I'm not were, sure they were happy too, because they would have been doing well. So much happier, right? Each person was easily making over six figures, which is, you know, people's goal. I want to make six figures. Great. I'll show you how to do it. Do this, you get this. Do this, you get this. So we built that salon and spa and then sold it in 2000. Um, you know, this is my, that my current business is my ninth business. Right. I've, I've had seven multi-million dollar companies. Two were dismal failures because I, I got in partnerships. I didn't know anything about business. I was just trying to, I was scared to do it on my own. So I'm like, I know, I'll go in partnership with Ken. He seems like he knows what he's doing. Mm. Yeah, but <laughs> not, not this Ken. It was a better Ken. Ken. Right, I was just giving an example. Like, you just see somebody and you're like, okay, I'm scared to do it on my own, so I'll go in business with somebody. No, that's like going on for your first date and go, let's get married. No, 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 mm-hmm. do not do that. Like, that was hard, hard, hard learning, but good learning, right? I learned to, I learned to say no. I learned boundaries. I learned expectation. I learned to have a plan. You know, all good foundational stuff in those first two businesses, you know, and I just, I have an entrepreneurial spirit of let's create, let's build, let's create, let's build. Yeah, and obviously you have passion around that. So, Susie, help the listeners now. You come out of this poor family. 
and now you're you're earning you know dollars that are in the top one percent or more of the country of uh, earners or business owners what's this thing that you talk about as far as reshaping your relationship with money what, explain to the audience what you're thinking about there and what that means for us that are listening yeah so one you have to really look at your net worth will only go as high as your self-worth so it doesn't matter I have a client that you know she makes 10 million but she spends 12 million so she's not profitable and she's always chasing this am I good enough am I smart enough you know overspending not looking at her budget but that's all from internal and so you've got to really work on you what's your what are your values what do you bring what's your relationship with money and our relationship with money comes from generational right from my parents and my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles like what would what was their relationship with money we all have those stories right money doesn't grow on trees ours was there isn't any don't ask you know the thing my dad did give me which was brilliant was he said Susie you can have whatever you want just go get a job you know just work hard and that was good until I got older where I felt like I just had to kill myself to make money you know where you know you mentioned it in your story it's like I don't want to be away from my family I don't want to you know I want to have family time and health I want to sleep in my own bed right because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was traveling all over the world you know making a profound difference for other people but not seeing my family because I was out you know sharing my message to the world but that was about self-worth Right? It was about how do I feel? Like, oh, it feels stingy to take care of me. It feels selfish to take care of me. Well, now I'm a little more seasoned. No, I want to take care of me. It, it, it's my time. It's my season. To I, I can still make the kind of money I choose and have this thing called holistic success. Mm -hmm. So if I if I'm struggling with you know I've, years and years ago I wrote an article that um, having enough money has nothing to do with the money it has to do with the emotional freedom that it gives you is how do how do people who are listening transition into this space where they don't have this sort of negative connotation about money or don't feel guilty about it or really allow it to kind of enter in without them sabotaging it because all of us have done that at some point or another right so part of it is the beliefs around money right it comes from again generational comes from community what does your community say you know there's that saying you're the sum of the six people you hang out with who are you hanging out with what's their beliefs around money right it comes from environment it comes from um, your education and so one before we can even pivot this conversation is I need you to look at the hard reality of what's your relationship with that do you avoid it do you embrace it does it come to you I had to completely shift and create a money mantra you know every time I get a bill in can I say a prayer as I write the check and I bless the bill every time I get money in I say that same prayer it's just part of what I do to bring new money in and to serve my community as money out Right, so I'm very conscious of my belief systems around money, what conversations I'm having about money. And then you start really looking at, well, what's blocking you, right? What, where are your blocks, right? That's that emotional entanglement that we have. And until you get to the root cause of that, I, again, I can teach you to make a million dollars, but you'll spend a million and one. Mm. We've got to look at 
well, what is, how do I want to create your wealth, right? Wealth isn't how much money I bring in. Wealth is how much money I save and take care of my future inside of. What are some and of the blocks that you come across as a coach that are out there that might apply to the listeners today? Oh my gosh, not even as a coach, just in myself, right? So, you know, some people have beliefs around rich people. Rich people are corrupt, rich people are greedy, right? There's a worthiness around money. Do I deserve more? Do I deserve to be wealthy, right? Wealth is for, you know, greedy people. Um, some people have taken a vow of poverty unconsciously, right? If the people that are raised in churches, there is that vow of poverty of you know, not, not knowing. It's all unconscious. Most of this is unconscious. So our job is to let's get it to the conscious. Guilt around money, right, and wanting more, like it's wrong to want money, right? Scarcity, there's never enough money. There'll always be a lack. I'll always be in debt. Most of this is unconscious conversations. So if I can bring the unconscious conversation to the conscious, now we have something to deal with. Now, I'll do, I have an assessment that I do around money blocks, and I'll do this for myself annually. And it's interesting. So much awareness and so much work that I have, and then stuff um, just kind of comes in. Like, I feel like a fraud. I'm like, where, where is that coming from? I try so hard, right? Or there's never enough, or money is security, or there's, you know, it's scarce. So those are my big ones, right, that I manage constantly. They don't go away. They just show up sexier and more refined. Actually, you just, you slip something in that actually, because that's, I grew up on the dairy farm, as some people know, and of course there was, uh, what do you think, money grows on trees, and, and we always survived but it was always this kind of survival thing but you just slip something in there about money security yeah explain that uh, to the audience what do you mean by that well each of us will have your own my nugget is when I really start getting clear what does money mean to me money to me means security because I, I, I grew up in a household that it was never secure. There was never money. I got in a relationship where I wasn't taken care of. I wasn't taking care of my kids, didn't take care of me. Right? So I'm like, okay, I never want to be in that position again. So how do I manage that? Well, I make more money. I've got to save money. If I'm secure, then I can make choices that are different than being in a relationship where I'm held hostage around money or circumstances. So you want to look at that's my root of going, why is money important to you, right? Money gives me freedom. That's for me. Gives me freedom and gives me choices, right? So mm-hmm. it's just dirty paper. We all know it's dirty paper. But what is that paper doing for you? My kid's life is unrecognizable. My life is unrecognizable by the, the choices I could make because I had financial resources, because I created this financial abundance around me. So I think it's, Looking at is, is yours being afraid of rejection, right? Because being afraid of rejection is a money conversation because you, you won't have straight conversations with clients because you don't want them to tell you no. Well, we all know you are a sales trainer. You got to get 10 no's to get a yes. But when that's your fear, your fear of rejection, you just don't say anything. Like I'm not really going to invite people to play. I'm not really going to sell people because I don't want them to tell me no. It's like we talk this really good story and give, we're passionate about what we do, but we never ask for the sale. That's all about rejection. That's, that's not just sales conversation. It's about wanting, not wanting to be rejected. And that all boils down to money, which is crazy. 
And when you know this, you can make better decisions, right? So money mantras, I have a money mantra that I have, that I read, that I, I live inside of. Um, budgeting, and I love budgeting. Budgeting's fun. Now, when I first started, no, budgeting's not fun. But there's no, no fun in that. But I retrain myself. Like, it allows me freedom to see and cho choose, right? <laughs> it's like if you're... Your bills are, let's say, $5,000, and you have no recollection of what you spent the $5,000 for. You're not living inside of your reality. You're living out of the expectation of what society wants you to have, right? There's good debt and there's bad debt. Good debt is I know what that was for, whether it's debt that's helping me make money. You know, a house is a good debt because that's an asset, right? Those shoes you bought, you know, six months ago that you never wear, not a good investment if you put it on your credit card. Yeah, not, not so much. <laughs> Not right, <laughs> not writing anything. So I think there's when you can get really clear on what are the limiting factors and the limiting beliefs around money, then we can recreate what do I want it to be. Mm. Now, Sophie, I don't want to miss the opportunity to make sure that people know about you have a new book coming out. I do. Well, have in fact, you know, by the time the show airs, or you know, they could be listening to this in 2032, is uh, what's the name of the book and what is the core content that people can go ahead and get it? Love it. So the book is called Power Your Profits. It's how to take your business from startup to 10 million. And I've done this several times for myself and for my clients. And I'm a, a you know, again, a systems girl, procedures girl, very creative, but I realized that structure gave me more creativity. And I, I always want to know, like, what's step one, what's step two, what's step three, so that I know, do I focus on this right now or do I focus on this right now? And so it's the pathway of how do you build a multimillion-dollar company. I want you in the 1% club, right? 1.7% of the country hit that million-dollar mark. That's where every entrepreneur should be, and that's gross sales. That's not take-home. So first got to get you gross, grossing a million, and while we're doing that, let's put budgets together to go, how much do I want to provide for my family? So I look at 15% of our financial success is our technical ability. The other 85% is what's in the book. So you are phenomenal at your vocation. Whatever your vocation is, you're the expert in that. But I'm the expert mm -hmm. in building business, so let me help you with the 85%. You be good at your 15% and be amazing at that because we have to be amazing. And I have to be an amazing speaker. I have to be an amazing um, writer. That's my vocation. My business acumen, that 85%, right, let me work on that. If I could tweak a couple areas in the 85%, whether it's putting your financial plan together, putting your marketing plan together, putting your sales plan together, Business is like, remember when you were in school and you had those, you had lockers and you had a combination lock, Ken? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember it. Remember, and if you had one tick off, that sucker would not open. One it would tick. not. You'd have to do it like five times, especially when you were learning the combination. Well, that's business. One tick off. If you're, the money's not going to come. If you could do all the right things and not do them in the right order not be focused on the right things, and you're not going to make money. We've all seen it with entrepreneurs. 80% of entrepreneurs fail in the first five years because they don't know the combination of business. Power Your Profits is the combination of business to building a multi-million dollar company, to build a legacy for you and a legacy for your family. This isn't about an idea or concept. I've been doing this for 30 years. It is tried, true, and proven, right? Mm -hmm. Simon & Schuster's publishing it, so it's a big-name publisher. It's not theory. 
It's practical work that I've been working with hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs over 30 years in all kinds of vocations, right? Because that's usually people will stop like, well, you don't know my industry. Uh, again, business is business. You're, you're amazing at your 15%. I'm going to work on the 85% and help you hit that multi-million dollar status. I imagine they'll be able to get that book in just about any bookstore or online and Amazon or anything like that, correct? You can, but what you want to do is order it on poweryourprofitsbook.com because I'm giving away $5,000 worth of bonuses. So when you buy the book for $28, you get $5,000 worth of bonuses. So I'm giving you um, six of my favorite business templates right, to simplify business. You're getting our Power to Profit webinar. You're getting wealth, uh, Wisdom and Wealth, which is all about this money block and money belief training that we used to sell for over three grand, giving it as a bonus. You know, so if you pre-order the book, you can get the bonuses now, right? If, you, if you're listening to this before the book comes out, the book comes out September 22nd. But the bonuses will still be there because, again, I'm about making a difference in contribution. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not getting that you like marketing at all. Like I'm not really <laughs> picking up on that at all. I'm just passionate <laughs> about helping people. Let me help you. <laughs> oh, man, you're in the zone. You're in the zone to, for sure. I love what I do. Like I just, you know, I feel like a kid on a candy store. Like let me, let me help you. I think because it was so hard for me, Ken, there wasn't back mm. in the day, again, I'm seasoned, right? There, people weren't telling you the how. They were giving you ideas and concepts. I don't need an idea. We all have ideas. I need the it. What's, just tell me what to do, and I will do it. I'm a good student, right? Don't leave it because I find people just have a hard time making the connect from the idea to the solution. So let me give you the solution. And right. I think some entrepreneurs feel alone too in some are even, and myself included, you know, you're embarrassed to ask is almost admit that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm good at this. And, and so I think we want to kind of let go of that, those insecurities. We've all been there. We've all had these moments where we said, well, you know, what next? What right. next? And who's coaching the coach, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you have business coaches that you use as resources, Right? I have three financial coaches, one business coach, a personal trainer, and a personal development coach, a.k.a. therapist. Right? <laughs> I'm playing a big game in the world. When you, The bigger you play, the bigger you fall. So if I'm going to fall, I want people around me that can help me, you know, get back up, help me to get, mm -hmm. you know, to leverage what I'm doing. You know, in 2007, I don't know if you remember 2007. But I remember 2008 actually was kind of when it hit us. So. Yeah. That was probably the most humbling experience. And I've had a lot of humbling experiences in business. But we, I was heavily leveraged in real estate. You know, my assets were in the market. Um, we had just sold our business, you know, for millions to Ritker's Publishing. And so a lot of our assets were tied up. And when the market crashed, I crashed. And financially, my marriage of 17 years didn't withstand that crash, right? I, I, I could not go back into my industry, uh, in the beauty industry, because I sold that to Rickers Publishing. So there was a non-compete that was still going. And I was lost and devastated. And I remember being on the floor, Ken, crying. And not like why me, not like a pity party, but just thinking, I don't have another 20 years to rebuild this. 
and I've been a good steward. I, I did all the things right. I listened to coaches. You know, I saved money. I, I had multiple income streams. I leveraged. I, you know, I thought I was doing all the right things that my advisors were telling me. And the reality, nobody knew the shenanigans that was going behind the scenes, not us lay people, right? That wasn't my world that, you know, we trusted our advisors. And um, I learned a lot in that experience. But I remember crying on the floor, and I heard this voice. I'll call it God. You call it whatever you want to call it. And because I was saying, why? Well, I, I don't even know what to do. I, I, I can't do this. I, I can't do it. And I heard this voice that said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Get up. You know what to do. You know money. Go make money. And so, you know, I pulled up my big girl panties and went, okay. I had two clients. I had John Astroff and Lisa Nichols. I said, okay, I'm going to work on their business. I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to turn this around. Right? So two contracts, started working with those two clients. Right? John, I worked for about a year and a half. Lisa, I ended up working with her for, you know, she's been a client for nearly 20 years because I keep making her money. Right, we just keep pivoting our relationship, and how do we do it differently? And so it didn't take me 20 years to rebuild because I had learned the system of money. You figure it took 20 years. I've been doing this for 30 years, right? Business for 30 years, but that first 10 years, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just trying to figure it out. And but the the next mm -hmm. 20 years, I understood business. Build a business, right? Here's what you do. And so I did that for Lisa, I did it for John, and then I started building, I took over Lisa's company, we built a $10 million company, we took that company public, um, just raising money and to build that enterprise for her. And it took me about five years to recover what I lost, because I knew what to do. So it doesn't have to take you, when you find that right mentor, like it's got to be your people to go, that's my person, that's my, mm -hmm. I think that person can guide me, help me. You want a coach that's willing to tell you what you don't want to hear, that's willing to show you what you don't want to see, so you know you can be the person you can be. My coaching isn't about me. I don't want to create Susie Zealots. I want to transform Ken's business. I want to transform Melanie's business, Melissa's business. Right? I want to transform people's business so that they're leaving their legacy for their children, their grandchildren, their community, whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. And we should be paid handsomely for it. And so Absolutely. I'm proud to say that I've been knocked down several times. That was one of the biggest knockdowns, you know. But well, we've, we've all had those moments. I mean, I had somebody conned uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from us, and it was all a scam. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and say, how stupid can you be? And I said, well, I'm stupid with the other people who lost millions as well. That's why they call them con artists for a reason, right? Yeah. So we've we've all had those moments. Now, Susie, if you could believe it, we're already at the end of our show. And where did the time go? Of course, it's just a natural conversation. So first of all, before we kind of get into your wrap-up of words of wisdoms, uh, leave all the places that uh, people can find out about you and the book site again. Perfect. So the book site is PowerYourProfitsBook.com. That's plural, how are your profits, plural, book.com. Or you can find me by my name, Susie Carter, and it's C-A-R-D as in dinero or dollar, E-R. On my social handles, it's my name, Susie Carter. I'm the profit coach because my passion is to help people with their profitability. So if you just type my name in, I'll come up for you, and you can connect. I've got some juicy 
free resources for you on the website so that you can, you know, sample, taste to go to it. Am I your person? Right? Can this woman help me? Can she, does she get me? Does she get what I'm up to? You know, Benjamin Franklin said, take the coins from your purse, invest them in your mind, and your mind will fill your purse overflowing. And so that's mm-hmm. been my philosophy from the day I left my ex-husband was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make lemonade, right? I could have been a victim. I could have stayed, you know, struggling, and I chose something different through my education. It's not a traditional education. It's, you know, I went out there and figured out what could I do and just take the step forward. What do you need next? What do you need next? And find the people. You found Ken, right? You found Dr. Ken. Find those people that you resonate with that can help you to your next, whatever your next is. Mm. Well, Susie, thank you very much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you, and uh, you are welcome, and it's a pleasure to have you. So, Secrets of Success listeners, Susie Carter with a D, so C-A-R-D-E-R. Go get her book, Profit poweryourprofitsbook.com. You know, when we think about our lives, all of us at some time or another have had to deal with this money mindset and area. And as Susie said, we don't want to talk about it. We want to avoid it. It was true in my house as well, where it was all arguments about it. And yet at the same time, there are people out there who are being successful. They're no smarter than you. They've just figured out the systems, the processes, got mentors, shifted the mindset, got rid of the stuff that was blocking them. So as always, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, let somebody else know about it, leave a positive comment on any platform, and let us know of somebody who would be a great guest. Thank you for listening, and I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.